Good morning, everyone, <laughs> because <laughs> it is morning here. And we have a first uh, in the history. It's not very long history, but we have a first here. We have an in-house guest, in-studio, uh, in-studio yeah. guest yeah. Uh, with uh, Jacob, Dr. Jacob Persley. Uh, we're just going to jump into it because we've already been talking uh, a little bit. And, um, and you guys know what the title is. Just wanted to encourage you guys uh, as you're watching this. Go ahead and share it out on Facebook and uh, whatever else other platform you're, you you use and um, get people into this. I would really want to see Turks in this. Mm. Um, so it, it would be really interesting. By the way, I, I've discovered mm. there's a number of... Uh, I knew about these people. I didn't know they were Turkish. Mm. Uh, there's a number of people out there that are doing um, work against Islam, I would say. Mm -hmm. But... Um, I didn't know they were Turkish. So one of them, someone told me, it was Hatun Tash. Yes, Hatun Tash. Hatun is. Tash has, has like, <laughs> single-handedly brought down the Islamic world, it mm -hmm. seems like, because she found all these alternate Korans That's exactly in, right. in Africa, yeah. and it's become um, big news. Jay Smith deals with mm -hmm. it, and... Uh, now other people are, and then I found out the apostate prophet. Yes, yes, he also is. Uh, he's Turkish. also yes. Turkish. So you knew these. I didn't, because yep, yep. um, I, I was watching a live stream yesterday, and then they asked him where he was from, and he said, "Well, Turkey, Germany." And I was like, "Oh, this guy's a Turk too." He is. You know what's interesting is he really represents a lot of the modern day Turk secular Turks that have. Uh, there's been a trend to move away from Islam because of two factors. One was ISIS. When ISIS started to enter into Syria and to Iraq, it's really fascinating. Uh, it was the first time in Turkey, so I was in Turkey for 15 years, but I just want to mention this quickly, that um, nobody questioned Islam in Turkey. Nobody, you know, you don't say, well, what is Islam? What do we mm. really believe? Nobody ever thought about that. When they saw the atrocities that ISIS was doing against the Yazidis wow. and all of these things that they were posting live, um, for the first time in our church in Turkey, in our, and we have churches in Turkey made up of Turkish and Kurdish background believers that were former Muslims and now Christians. But what was fascinating is that members from our church said, our family members are calling us for the first time and saying, so in Christianity, do you cut heads off too? Oh, wow. They would say that direct. They said, so why did you leave Islam and why do you think Christianity is true? But it was the first time that that ever had happened. That conversation. So ISIS was a factor. And the other factor was the rise of the Ak Party, which is Type Erdogan's party back in 2002 when he came to power with his group. And there has been this, uh, I would not say slow, but a pretty fast-paced Islamization of Turkey, and so you have this huge movement, I would say up to the millions now, where people have rejected Islam and they've become atheist. I call them... Um, Pre-Christians. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're pre-Christians, <laughs> but they're, they're, what they're, re they're doing is they're rejecting the Islamic God and the Islamic faith. They're calling themselves atheists, but... They're also lumping Christianity into that because they have been taught that really, you know, there's no difference between yeah. Islam and Christianity. So guys like that, it's, uh, they're definitely on a, a path, I would say. Okay, so that was a quick introduction. So um, kind of, of mm -hmm. uh, something that would share with, uh, about your past. Let's, let's take a step back. Sure. Okay. Tell us about your doctoral work. Tell, tell us about your PhD, mm -hmm. what that was in, what kind of work you did. And then we'll talk about your time in Turkey. Mm and all the other stuff surrounding you. <laughs> sure, so uh, I, I've been in really full-time ministry. The Lord called me into ministry uh, in 1998. 
and that's really the time I met the Lord. And so I would say that uh, all of my work in academics has had a practical purpose to aid in the ministry that the Lord has given me. So whether it was studying pastoral studies, mm -hmm. because I knew that we were going to be doing a lot of pastoral work, or was it I studied Islam and I did a, a, a master's degree thesis on a horrible subject, actually, really bad. It was on uh, the, called the Rejection of al Azal in the Proper Treatment of Non-Muslim Captive Women. And basically it had to do with Islamic rape, and nobody had talked about that, but that really, um, really opened my eyes to a lot of the realities of Islam getting into that. And then I studied uh, in seminary uh, and did a focus on apologetics specifically uh, to answer Muslim objections. And then the doctoral work had to do with discipling believers from a Muslim background really to have. Okay. Hmm. Uh, we had some technical difficulties, everyone. Uh don't know why, but it seems like our internet might have cut out. And um, yeah, we would have lost the connection here. Okay, so we should be back now. Can mm -hmm. you guys give a thumbs up or something like that if, uh, if you're still on here and uh, you're seeing this? Uh, again, no idea. Hey, uh, for, you, for you American folks who don't have issues like that, welcome to Armenia. <laughs> so it's a great country <laughs> it, it is, is. It is. i love this place country. i love i love i love this country okay so um you spent how many years in turkey so uh, i moved to turkey in the year 2002 with my wife and we were there for approximately 15 years okay and that's before we moved to armenia okay so now you you are a unique individual to me mm. okay because um you speak a bunch of languages well, I try. I'm, I'm from Arkansas. I'm still trying to learn to speak English, man. <laughs> you, I, man, you have a gift. Because we, so, one of the things I've realized being in Armenia uh, is how much I take for granted my Armenian mm. language skills. Right? Like, I was born into it. I speak Armenian. And um, I know it can improve. Uh, but I haven't really been working on it. And, um, it's, it's, you know, and, and then I realize I, I see you and then I see people like you and you guys are speaking Armenian, you're developing, like there's, there's change and growth and stuff. And I'm like, oh man, I feel guilty. I need to work on this because this guy is just like doing really well. <laughs> so, no, you're doing fine. Okay. I, uh, um, so you speak, um, Armenian. Well, yeah. I'm, you know, yeah, you're in there. Yeah. Okay, you might not consider that like fluent yeah, or something like that. Well, English is a given. Um, you speak Turkish. Turkish, yes. Very well. Um, you speak mm -hmm. Turkish very well. You speak... Um, Kurmanji. Kurmanji, yeah. which is a Turkish... It's, a, it's actually a Kurdish in the Kurdish language families. It's mm -hmm. predominantly spoken in Turkey and in northeastern Syria. And you can find a, a variation of the dialect in Iraq as well. They call it Bahtini. Mm -hmm. But it's... It's, uh, it's also Kurmanji. in Armenia. Yes, they did speak it among Yezidis, the Yezidis Kurds. Yezidis that's correct. Yezidis Kurds yes. speak it that's, in Armenia. That's actually Because right. I've heard that. So, yep. um, J Jacob is uh, multilingual. Um, uh, you, since you lived in Turkey, okay, mm -hmm. and you specifically uh, lived and worked there with, mm -hmm. with Turks and Kurds. Yes. We're going to have, our conversation is going to revolve around um, something a bit different than what people speak about when it comes to Islam. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because... Um, I, I guess this is true in Christianity to a certain extent as well, that you see different variations and kinds sure. given the 
you know, this like social context, right? The cultural yeah. context that Christianity is in. Um, and what a lot of Westerners not, might not realize, especially when it comes to evangelism, right? Mm -hmm. this, this is an apologetics channel. So right. evangelism is always there, right? Mm -hmm. Well, you can't do apologetics if you're not thinking about evangelism right. or else you're wasting your time. Um, I'm a firm believer in that. If you're learning apologetics, I really hope that people who are watching this, the, the time you spend watching, learning, reading apologetics content, you're actually putting it into practice, yes. um, engaging with, um, with people. Um, so, um, so you want to know the kind of mindset because you can't just like, for example, just in my personal experience, mm. um, you can't learn about Sunni Islam and how to deal with Saudis and then use that against a Persian. Right. No. Like, number one, no. they're not Sunni. Number two, they're not Arab. So you got like a religious and, mm -hmm. right, a cultural dynamic to this. Right. Like, it's, it's worlds apart. Their view of Islam is actually worlds apart yeah. because of uh, Shia Islam and Sunni Islam, mm -hmm. but also the cultural just the way the people speak to you and well, their culture. Absolutely. Right? I, I remember when I took a class called Introduction to Islam, uh, my professor had about three doctorates, probably memorized every hadith uh, that was out there. It was just brilliant man. And when I told him I was living in Turkey, he said, I have to confess, I, I know nothing about Turkish Islam. And he said, uh, you know, maybe you could help me out with that. And I'm like here learning, trying to learn Islam myself. <laughs> but I had lived in, in Turkey for some time, but it really uh, opened my eyes to the various Islams. I remember when he taught the course, he said, I actually like to call this course uh, Islams because there's not one Islam. There's variations of thousands of types of yeah. Islams. And, uh, and it's really true. I mean, you know, when you look at the 83, 84 million people, even in Turkey, uh, it's kind of like a reader response kind of thing. Uh, you ask somebody, they all have a different view of what Islam is and their version. Well, Muhammad to me is this, or the Quran, Islam to me is this. So it's hard to even nail down, you know, this is, you know, everybody knows the five pillars. Yeah. You know, there's a few basic beliefs that everybody's familiar with. But aside from that, it's just, it goes... Yeah, I, again, I, I mean, I see that even, yeah. I, you see that in yeah. Christianity, right? Like, let's be honest, because uh, you'll talk to Christians and they'll say, well, Jesus to me is this. And, and those of us who are mm. like <laughs> sticklers, you yeah, could say, sure. right? Like uh, the annoying folks would say, well, yeah, it doesn't matter what Jesus means to you per right, se. Right. It's like, especially if that's in contradiction with what the text that's says. Correct. And I've seen a lot more effort by Christians who study Islam, mm -hmm. bringing this to the forefront of the conversation. Like, well, it doesn't matter what your culture taught you about Islam. Right. What does Islam teach? What right. does your primary sources teach? What does the Quran teach? Do you live according to that? So there's there's two misconceptions that I've seen specifically from a Western perspective of our tour, and the misconceptions are that is is uh, the first one is that Islam is a peaceful, loving religion. And the second misconception is that all Muslims are terrorists. So we have kind of this feeling, especially in the South where I'm from, you know, you mm. go talk to some redneck, like <laughs> how I grew up and yeah, all those Muslims are terrorists, right? And then, uh, but then you hear on the media, Islam is peace and love. And the absolute opposite is the true. Most Muslims are not terrorists and Islam is not a peaceful loving yeah, religion. <laughs> <laughs> That's the actual truth to it. And so what we did in our church in Turkey um, it seemed probably odd to some people, but we actually, in our library, like your library, that you've, I've seen, you've read your books and moved on. Yeah, I ate them. <laughs> I ate, you know, when, when John sees the angel and takes the, you know, the school yeah. and stuff. 
So I eat my books. That's how I consume them. So what we did on our, our library is I, uh, I had to hunt down. It took me probably three months to find the three most accepted Sunni hadith in Turkey. Now, and I'm talking about Istanbul, the city of 20 million people. It's the academic center. It's the cultural center. Wow. I had to literally hunt down in people's doors and say, do you have a set of hadith? You can't go to a Muslim <laughs> bookstore and find full sets of the hadith. Wow. Now, the reason I had the entire sets, I had like, uh, I had Sahih Bukhari, I had Sahih Muslim, I had Abu Dawood, I had other uh, hadiths. But the reason I did that, and we had about seven or eight different translations of the Quran into Turkish. The reason we did that is we would have Muslims coming in to talk about Christianity and they wanted to debate or talk about different things. And I didn't want to talk about culture or their perspective. I said, let's go back to your primary source books and let's actually see what it says. So we would open up Bukhari or all these different things. It was the first time they'd ever seen a set of Hadith in their life. They look at it and they'd be shocked. They say, this can't be true. This can't be Islam. Like when it says in Bukhari or the other ones that, uh, that Muhammad married a girl named Aisha when she was six years old and when she was nine years old consummated the marriage. They just couldn't believe that that could be in their religion and that their prophet would have done something like that when he's supposed to be the most perfect of yeah. examples. So I would have these things. And the reason I did that is, um, you know, the, the subject of our, our time here is about uh, the Muslim mindset. Mm -hmm. The Ministry of Religion in Turkey does a very deceptive thing, and I think they do it on purpose because they know, those that are in the know, that are the, the muftis and things like that, the, the religious leaders. Yeah. What they do is they have a, um, if you go to a bookstore in Turkey today, you can find the hadiths, but you find what they selected for you to read. So it's a selected reading. Yes. So like if you're a normal Turkish Muslim or Kurdish Muslim, you read Turkish and you're like, hey, I'd like to know what my religion teaches me. Well, you go to the bookstore. Oh, 101 hadiths or 1001 hadiths. Ah, so they don't really. Yeah, so they're uh, not getting the full like, what does it say about jihad, about holy war? What does it say about uh, sex slaves? Oh, they're not reading those hadiths. They're not reading those thousand and one hadiths. They're reading the hadiths that are weak hadiths, like wow. heaven is at the feet of the mother. So they're thinking, <laughs> oh, look how great Islam is. Muhammad said that heaven is the feet of the mother, except for that's a weak hadith, and nobody really accepts that as a real true saying of Muhammad. Wow. And first, first off, I don't believe that the hadiths are actually accurate anyway. That's another story, <laughs> but for a Muslim, they are. So, uh, so that's one of the things is there's just a lot of deception and there's a lot of lies that is uh, inherent in the Muslim culture because it's inherent in the Quran and the Muslim God. I mean, one of his 99 names is Al-Makr, which means the deceiver. So, I mean, if you've got a God that his, one of his names is the deceiver, you're, it's likely that you're going to have some issues within your culture and, yeah. and other things. Well, let me say this and then we'll switch over to kind of the nature of the conversation. You know, it, it always comes back to your view of God and then the view of the nature of God you have. For example, in Christianity, we believe God is immutable, unchanging. Yeah, right. And what we mean by this, I mean, scholars obviously are going to quibble over it. But uh, when it really gets down to it is that God is unchanging in his nature. <laughs> right? For example, if God is love, he's not going to change and become unloving and right. become hateful and yeah. evil overnight. Right. Um, or at his whim. Where in Islam, that's not the case. The no. Islamic God. Okay. Um, it, and, and again, here we want to conceptualize, mm -hmm. right? For me, Allah just means God, mm -hmm. like Astavats means sure, God sure. in Armenian, um, even though it has connotations and meanings. And we can, I think we can redeem that. That's my personal opinion. We can change what we mean by Allah. Um, and uh, not everyone is in agreement with that. Uh, they, the, the, the concept is that 
He can come up with rules, moral mm-hmm. rules. He can change his moral rules. Right. Right? So in Islam, he, Allah can, could say, this is a sin. Mm-hmm. This is haram. Don't do it. That's right. Two days later, give you a right. new revelation and say, it's okay now, guys. You can do it. Right. You remember the, the story of Salman Rushdie and the satanic verses? So uh, even though the, the book he wrote really had nothing to do with that, mm-hmm. but what it did is it brought to light the fact that Muhammad at one point in history, when he was speaking to the Meccans, he allowed them to worship their god, Allah, Luza, and so forth. And then another revelation comes in and says, oh no, that was wrong. That was actually, that was interpolated by Satan. And then there's the the, the issue with um, the Nasik Wa Mansuk, which is the law of abrogation, mm-hmm. which is found in Surah 2106, where it talks about uh, that God can change things if he wants. Hey. And it's like, well, to mm. what? I mean, <laughs> what is this? Yeah, and that's the thing, right? Again, just I, I want to encourage everyone, especially if a Muslim is going to watch this, yeah. know that your theology is the reason why you have the view you do. Like, yeah. you have, well, you might not even believe this as a Muslim. That's you right. might actually actually think that God um, uh, changes, mm-hmm. right? Uh, uh, he changes his mind at a whim uh, in reality. Um, that would mean you go back mm-hmm. and look at your Islamic sources, yes. you look at what your theology explains, you actually, without knowing, might be more in agreement with the Christian conception of That's God right. uh, than the Islamic one. Because in reality, the Islam, Islamic one is that um, God changes and, and can, can do what he, whatever he wants. I to have do. an illustration for this that's really helpful. So one of the most common symbols for a Muslim and on flags and so forth is a crescent moon. Mm-hmm. You see that on the Turkish flag, Algerian flag, so forth. And what I, I found is that it's a really good example to represent what Islam is or if a truth could be found even in the Quran, if there's something that could be truthful there, where does it originate from? So we all know that the moon is, is not a source of light. It doesn't bring forth light. It doesn't give light. It reflects the light from the sun. Mm-hmm. And if you see a crescent moon, you're talking 3% reflection, maybe 12% reflection of the actual sun where the light is actually mm-hmm. sourced from and coming from. And so as you're reading the Quran or you're reading some Islamic sources, you say, well, that looks, yeah, there's the guy named Moses mentioned there and there's an Isa guy and that there's some, you know, and look, that looks pretty good. Well, there's some reasons that you're going to find that. It, it, any truth I would say that's found in Islam or anything that you would say looks similar to Christianity, well, it was already sourced in in the sun in jesus christ in his word and it's just a reflection yeah. of that but it's not the full reflection if you really want to find out what the truth is who who god truly yeah. is is he a personal relational loving god that actually does love you so much that he would save you you can't save yourself he's going to save you then where does that come from well you learn that from the bible i mean the the, the 66 books that he's given us and so anyway i like to give that that's as an a good analogy that, i like that yeah. i like that um okay people are talking about the origin uh, you know origination of uh, the allah and all that stuff nice. there's a lot of content out there about this stuff by the way guys and sure you know I, I encourage you guys to go watch uh, all the all the individuals that you probably already do watch, yeah. but David Wood for me is is a good resource. Uh, but even even some of the like Jay Smith's good. I, I yeah, really enjoy is. Jay Smith's stuff, and um, Al Fadi is good. Mm-hmm. Right, but again, um, most of the conversation here is being had with Sunni Arab Muslims, yes, correct? Of a certain sort, maybe even of a Western sort, 
right? These are Muslims in America who are defending. Yeah. Um, uh, there's Muslims in uh, in England. Sure. There's all right. There's all this internet controversy over YouTube with some of these British Muslims and stuff like that. But you lived in Turkey. Yeah. And let's move away from Istanbul. Sure. Okay, because that's a big city. Sure. Big cities, capitals. We even in America, right? Like LA is a completely different context mm-hmm. than Arkansas. Arkansas. Sure. <laughs> and so let's talk about folk religion, because mm-hmm. even in Armenia, yeah. I'll give you a perfect example. Um, and this is throughout this Middle East, Eastern kind of region. Um, you get. Uh, even out of the village, right? You mm-hmm. go into Armenian homes and stuff. What do you see? You see that blue eye hanging in people's cars. You know, mm-hmm. you sit in a taxi in Yerevan. It's got that blue eye and then the picture of Jesus and then a cross and then Mary. And you're like, what is going on sure. here, man? It's like, sure. it's like a pantheon. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's it's definitely not Christian. Yeah. But you say, why is this guy who claims to be a Christian, clearly cross, yeah. this, 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 got this eye hanging yeah. here? Well, it's because of folk religion, okay? Mm-hmm. Um and so tell me about Islam in kind of rural villages, the yeah, mindset sure. of people. Um, are they more religious? Are they less, less mm-hmm. religious? What does that look like? So uh, let me just, there was a study that was done in Turkey, and this was back in 2012, so it's eight-year-old study, but this is reflective of, of the mindset in Turkey. Uh, it's changed a bit, but generally it stayed has stayed the same. There was a study done by one of the universities in Turkey, in Istanbul, and they uh, did a survey with 20,000 Turkish-Kurdish Muslims. And they found that uh, out of that group of Muslims, it was something like uh, yeah, maybe 10% had actually read the Quran. Hmm. And then it was even a lower percentage of actually read it in Turkish where they could understand what they read. And it was even a lower percentage for how many have actually read the Hadith. So uh, when it comes to like even what we would say is Orthodox Islam or proper Islam, which we're talking about Sunni or Shia Islam, sourced in primary sources, trying to do things according to what the Hadith or the Quran says, you know, you have, that's what they call proper Islam. But really in my perspective, all Islam is folk Islam. But uh, to get back to this point though, is uh, what happens is, is because of their belief that God is distant and because he doesn't really, he doesn't come and interact with you, you, you have to find some other way to solve your problem. Mm. So they have these beliefs in all over the world. This is not just in the Muslim world, but you mentioned the evil eye. The evil eye um, could be uh, in, uh, done uh, not on purpose to you, it could also be done to you intentionally or to something that you love, something that you own. It could be an object, Your a person, a place, stuff. a thing, animal, doesn't matter. But uh, there is, an, uh, I would say, a proper Islamic way to deal with those things. But it's still folk Islam. You're still doing a ritual to try to manipulate your world around you to solve the problem. I've talked with sheikhs about this. I've talked with hojas. These are people that are the shamans. And I've said, what do you, how do you guys deal with these problems? And they said, well... According to the Quran, you got to memorize this Quran in verse in Arabic. You lay on your left side three times. You repeat this this many times. And if you do this ritual, then the evil eye and the effects of it will go away. Well, what did you just do here? You just The, the person doesn't even speak Arabic. They speak Turkish. They don't even know what you're talking about. You could be cursing and they have no idea what you're talking about. And then yeah. you do this ritual and then this evil eye idea will go away. Well, the other ways that they deal with that is by hanging a blue eye bead or they might have some kind of a, a triangle tattoo to protect them from uh, some kind of evil eye. Sometimes they, they actually, uh, this is the Arab world, 
world, but they, they, they tattoo their lips and they, they all do all kinds of things. I could go into details, but what, what's important about this, and there's several categories. I mean, they're, they're always afraid of demons, the, the boogeyman, I call it. It's the black one that oppresses them, that comes at night. So there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of these, that's the things that they talk about. They're not talking about, you know, did you do the namaz or salat today? Did you yeah. do your prayers today? And what do you think about, they're not talking about these deep intellectual, you know, let's talk about the historicity of, of the Quran and how it came to be canon. Yeah. They don't talk about, they talk about the Bible and they say it's been changed and corrupted, but that's as far as it goes. They don't ever, they'll never talk about like the history of the canonization of the scriptures. They wouldn't even believe you if you've talked about it because their minds are in a completely different place. They're not thinking about critical thinking, research. What they're thinking about is every night I've got this demon that comes to me and I can't, I don't know how to deal with it. Wow. So that's the things that usually in the in the Muslim world that we really were dealing with on a regular basis is their fear of the effects of the evil eye, the fear of a, a demon coming to them, or they're saying, I think my neighbor cursed me. What do I do about it? Well, thankfully, the Bible has answers for all of that. Yeah. Yeah. See, the, here's the thing is because um, most of the people watching this are in the West, right? Like in America and um, in England, it's just it's English speaking world. When they come across Muslims, whether they're Arab, whether they're uh, mm -hmm. Turks or, or Iranians or whatever like that. Um, I, I, there's kind of a danger with watching this kind of content, right, on Islam. And again, I consume, I, I, it's because mm -hmm. I enjoy it, by mm -hmm. the way. I enjoy it. Uh, one day I'll share my story and how, why I enjoy Islam so much. But um, it's it's there's a danger of just approaching them and then kind of reading off a script yes because it could be the case that listen this individual they're in the west say they're in la um they know nothing about their religion yeah. everything they know about their religion is right. given to them about their parents and sure. you know say their parents migrate to the united states their parents don't know anything about islam right. because this, their parents believe something you know their grandparents told them and you do this and you do that and and, and then you show up right like packed <laughs> Hadith, da 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 da. Mm -hmm, he didn't know mm -hmm. what you're talking about. That's right. So, what's no the idea. best way you can approach this situation? Um, what's the best way you approached it in a village that you know you're talking to this village guy and yeah. Well, it's interesting because you know in the Muslim world, uh, there. If you learn their language, first off, I mean it, it's very simple things. Um, but you have to remember. I'm just going to be honest. There's just the the education level in most Muslim countries is very low. The the uh, literacy late rate is very low. There's been many studies I could you know point to to show this, and because of that, I mean you 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 can't even have a conversation about like when Muhammad was born, when he died. And how does that relate with Jesus in the timeline? They don't even know timelines, proper timelines. What is before Christ? What is after Christ? So if you're talking to a Muslim, they'll say, well, of course the Bible was changed and corrupted. I mean, that was way long after Muhammad. And then you're looking at them. And first off, you do want to laugh like that, but you have to realize it's not their fault. They don't know. They were never taught. They never studied. So you have to have a lot of patience with a lot of these people. I'm talking about in the villages. I mean, this is not just in villages. This is representative of a lot of people in the Muslim world. So when I tell them when Muhammad was born in, say, 570 AD, they're like, what's AD? What do you mean 570? And then I'm like, well, Jesus was born around, you know, right at the Adam at this time. And I explained, they're like, 
well, what's that? And then so like I find myself sometimes having to have an, an hour discussion about history, history in time before I can even explain to them when Jesus came to this earth, when he incarnated, and then what he did and how what he taught, when his apostles taught, how the Bible came together. I mean, that it just takes so much time if I wanted to do that. But again, I don't always want to have to get into all of those things. So there are what I would call felt needs that these people have. And so, you know, I'm talking to them, I get to know them. You might find out that uh, they've had disturbing dreams their entire life. And it's been about one subject. And, or you might find out that uh, they feel like they've been cursed. Well, what's amazing is that the Bible, I mean, you can go to passages like Numbers 23, 23 is one of my go-to passages for a Muslim. It's the John three sixteen for a folk mm-hmm. Muslim. And it says in that passage that there is no curse that can harm Jacob. There's no divination that can have any effect on Israel. If you are in Jesus Christ, if you are a true believer, mm-hmm. it says that Jesus has taken the curse upon himself in Galatians chapter 3, and he, he's become a curse. I mean, we, we're not cursed people. In Christ, we're blessed. Yeah, so right. I say there is a way that that all you don't have to fear curses, the evil eye, none of these things. The Bible talks about this, but you have to turn to Christ. Yeah. And, and then we talk about those things. So there's always, there's just many felt needs depending on the subject. Okay. I can give you yeah, many no, examples. It's, 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 it's amazing because um, experience, which is something that I've probably become more of a, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, uh, fan, mm-hmm. let's say, right? That's not the word I was looking for, but what's the one we'll mm-hmm. use? Um, of experiences. Now, sure. I... Um, in the sense that they're valid, man. Yes, they are. Like you can't, there, there's this fear amongst Americans and Westerners of experience. You know, you got to like, this is my experience is pretty good. Okay. It not like it, it could be false. That's cool. I'm open to it being false. Mm-hmm. But if I'm experiencing it and he's experiencing it and she's experiencing it and thousand other people are experiencing it, there's probably something going on there. Right. Right. And so the encouragement to say, hey, let me pray for you. Yes. Because the, in the missions world, right, they call this uh, power encounters. Power yeah, struggles, that's right. right. Is that it could be the case that the Holy Spirit just does all your job for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. It's like this guy's got this disturbing dream. You pray for him, yeah. calls you the day after and says, for the first time in the past 15 years, yeah. I slept that's right. fine. What did you do? <laughs> yeah. Now there's a conversation right. uh, that they're, they're open to and all that. Um Let's talk about something that is um, close to my heart in a sense because um, there's a lot of conversations happening in, in Turkey right now and mm. because of the Armenian Observatory issue and all that stuff. Yeah. Let's talk about the nationalistic vibe mm-hmm. right? that Turkish Islam has. That maybe, And I'm not sure, uh, and you, you know this much better than I do, do uh, do Arab countries have a similar kind of nationalistic Islam, and how is that some kind of uh, how, if if it is how is it related to the Ottoman Empire as mm-hmm. the caliphate of the yeah. Islamic kind of world? Well, there's there's a lot there. Uh, let me try to make it simple. I would uh, I'm not an expert expert in, in Arab. Uh, studies. Sure. That's an actual study field <laughs> of study. And my, my sister is actually uh, 
she was in that field. She lives in Jordan and speaks Arabic. And we talk about a lot of these issues, uh, actually. And there is a, a very um, ethnic pride, which is not a bad thing to be proud of your background, your ancestry. That's fine. Um, but I think for Arabs, it, it they do talk about it's it's not a nationalistic in the sense of it's it's, it's uh, one country. You know, it's the Arabs say, you know, we're descendants the from Muhammad. People. They are yeah. people. It's an ethnic issue, not necessarily a, a country issue. And they're very proud of their, their language, their culture, their, you know, that's where Islam came from, except for the fact that there are there were Christian Arabs long before there was Muslim Arabs. And so um, my Christian Arab friends that might be watching this, I, I recognize that. And you the Christian Arabs were there long before oh, the Muslim amen. Arabs ever uh, uh, had a, a thought. So I do want to mention that. But when it comes with Turks, uh, there is this uh, even, I would say, uh, this extra pride. So uh, it's interesting that when you talk to a Turk, they'll say there's only two countries in the world. This is what they say that have never been colonized. And they say it's Thailand and Turkey. And and so uh, and so what they mean by that when they're saying that is they're saying, look, we are nobody can conquer us. Nobody can do anything to take us over. Not only that, we were the the leader of the caliphate for all of these years, and um, which is really interesting because they're supposed to be a secular republic right now. And since Ataturk 1923 yeah. disbanded the caliphate, all of those things, they shouldn't even be thinking about those things. But uh, what I've seen now in Turkey is this trend to go back to the caliphate, even among younger people too. So there's this, this group of people, these atheistic um, Turkish uh, background people, I call them, uh, I call them the, the uh, atheist background uh, uh, people. So they are, uh, they have this group and they're moving away from Islam because they don't like it. They study mm. it. They're, they're getting into details about it and rejecting it. But then you have this other resurgence of, we need to go back to the golden, golden days, the glory days of Islam. And I've had conversations with 15 year olds saying, you know, women should be walking on separate sides of the streets than men. We shouldn't be interacting with each other. They've said that, uh, you know, we need to go back to the Ottoman times when we brought peace to the entire world. Oh, Lord. That's what they're taught. We brought peace to the world. We brought peace to Bulgaria, to Armenia, to Greece. Yeah, yeah. and ask they actually us, and they believe uh, that. Ask us that, right? Right, and that, and that that's the thing about the the subject here is that with the Muslim mind in Turkey, there's just a lot of deception and false teaching on every subject. I mean, from religion, if you ask a, a, a Turk or a Kurd, uh, what is uh, Christianity? I mean, they have no idea. They're going to give you a opposite uh, answer to what the truth is about Christianity, mm. the church. A Christian, the Bible, doctrine of God, they, they've been taught a completely different idea of, than what the actual primary sources of the Bible teach. Yeah. When it comes to their own history, I was just mentioning to you too, I just want uh, viewers to know this, if there's any Turks listening, that there was Turkish Christians long before there was Muslim Christians. Uh, in part of my doctoral research, I studied uh, uh, Timothy I, the patriarch out of Baghdad, this man was traveling all over the Turkic world, and I've read his documents. He, he says, the Turks are saying, holy, 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 Lord God <laughs> Almighty. And this was back in the 700s. We're talking about 8th century. He's yeah. writing this. And then you get to the very first Turkish Catholicos, uh, Catholicus, I think we say in English, yeah. Catholicus. Mm -hmm. And he was the Turkish Catholicus out of Turkmenistan. His mm -hmm. center for his Catholicus was in a city called Merv. You can look on the map, and his name was... Uh, Rabon, Rabon Salma, and he was own goat Turk. He was a Turkish born guy, and he even traveled through to France. He gave 
communion to uh, the king of England in France at that time. This was, this was in the 1200s. So it was recorded in history, and you can. There's a lot of archaeological discoveries about this. But these guys, you know, they had their hymns. They ha they were worshiping, and they were Turkish. And it says in some accounts there's hundreds of thousands, some accounts millions of Turkish Christians. So that is not taught in any Turkish curriculum in Turkey. Uh, what they teach is we were animist, we were pagans, and then we become Muslims. Well, when did they become Muslims? Well, Timur or Tamerlane came in and wiped out all of the Turkish Christians in about a hundred years after that man, Rabban Salma was the Catholicist. Tamerlane came on the scene and wiped them all out. And then you have Islam. So they don't even know this stuff. Yeah, you know, it's... Yeah, I've had very similar conversations to per... with Persians, with Iranians. Yeah. And, I, and I, you know, because... One of the things I realized, I was having a conversation with some friends who are Iranian, and I realized that they were just down, right? Mm. Like discouraged uh, culturally. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh man, you know, we look at Armenia and Christianity. And, and, and then I stopped them and I said, you do realize mm -hmm. that you guys have a very old Christian heritage. Yeah. When, when Christianity came to Armenia, yeah. it was there for you too. Mm -hmm. Iranians were becoming believers. Right. And... Um, and then this, there, there, there was Iranian Jews that would have been becoming Christians as well, yeah. left from the Babylonian kind of, you know, Persian Empire days and all that. But I said, it, it's when Islam came in and wiped these people out that there's this really like, wa you know, washed, I don't want to say whitewashed, because it's washed history. We've always been this. Okay. That is not true. It's not true. Christianity has permeated, was in your culture, was doing great. Like Persians were sending out missionaries. Yes. Um, so th these people, um, whether it's mm. the Turkic people, and that goes beyond Turkey. Because you may, okay, of course, so let's the, talk the about Turkic that. people. Yeah, yeah. For, for those who don't yeah, know, sure. okay. So we're talking about Turkey as a country. Yeah. And you also mentioned, well, Turkic people, and you mentioned Turkmenistan, mm -hmm. right? So hey, help. Yeah, so there's the, the, the Turkey that. people. The Turkic people, um, they actually originating from like southwestern China. Uyghur people would be known. That's really popular in the news today that China has been having these re uh, uh, kind education. Of education camps <laughs> with the Uyghur Muslims. Wow. Well, they're Turkic people. I can actually understand a lot of what they say in their language because it's a similar uh, language, Turkic language. Um, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, uh, you talk about um, other Turkic, uh, Azerbaijan, the Azeri people. Uh, there's also around 20, 25 Tajik, million. Tajik, yeah, Tajik. You know, Tajikistan, more, they have more of a, a background with the Persians okay. uh, than, than some of the Turks. Uh, but there's a lot of Turkic people groups. And when it comes back to this uh, nationalism in Turkey, there's been this pan-Turkic idea. And they've talked, they've talked about this often, that they're trying to unite all of the Turkic speaking countries based on language, ethnicity, and, and, and religion together to unify. And, and I really see this, I don't want to get into politics and I don't want to, yeah, because I, I can't predict anything. It's not, that's not my field, but it, it just seems that what I've seen in Turkey over 15 years is this trend to, to connect everything together, to bring back an actual Islamic caliphate, an Islamic state. Yeah. Uh, so we, you know, we, we, you, know, you don't, yeah. I don't want to talk about politics, <laughs> but I know because like, I know exactly what you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. The, the sad reality is we have to, yeah, because Islam, right, 
is is a political uh, political it religion. It's it is a, military, uh, political, financial, economic, everything. You you can't way of life. right. It it is a way of life. I mean, um, so you have to talk about it, right? Because it's not like Muhammad sat there and said, "Let's not deal with politics." No, he, it was right? that's right. He <laughs> said, "Go and conquer the entire world with the sword until they submit." And, 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 well, Islam yeah. has yeah. that as its objection. Right. And it's some form of a submission, whether yeah. it's willing or whether yeah. it's not. Right. Um, I want to go back to this dealing with Turks within a Western context mm -hmm. who still have the mindset of Islam. They might not be practicing Islam or they might go um, into a place where some, some Turks I've met who become Christians ever since. They became more Islamic in the West, yeah, yeah, the, because that was the thing that kind of yeah, was sure. keeping their identity. Yeah. Dealing with them and evangelizing and, and having these apologetic conversations, mm. whether it's online on mm -hmm, Facebook mm -hmm. and stuff, which I wouldn't recommend having those conversations yeah. on Facebook. Yeah, but you know, sitting down and talking to them and then and then trying to figure out what's going on, what is going on? Because again, this person is not an Arab; they don't think like an Arab. Mm -mm. Um, this person is a Muslim, but is a certain sort of Muslim. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. Again. So let me give you a, a, one group of Muslims in Turkey that originated out of Turkey that I think has the most influence in the world uh, when it comes to uh, influencing the world and their brand of Islam are the Nurju people, the follow mm -hmm. people of followers of a site Nursi. Um, I also grouped them together with a man named Fatullah Gulen, and they call him uh, like so the Gulenist movement, uh, the Hizmet movement, the the whatever the kind of hand in hand. They have very similar teachings, Said Nursi and Fatullah Gulen. And uh, what's important Sorry, about this? Sorry, these, yeah. these are authentically Turkish. Turkish, yes. So, like for example, Said Nursi was born in Bitlis in the 1880s or something like that, and uh, Fatullah Gulen was born in Erzurum in around 1941. Mm -hmm. And uh, so these people are from Turkey. Uh, actually, I think both of them are ethnically Kurdish. To be honest, mm. it's kind of interesting, and it's actually also interesting because we also have another uh, really um, I wouldn't say famous guy from Turkey, but he started this Quranic only, Quran only movement. And he's also Kurdish. His name's Eddie Puxel, and he actually lives in Tucson, Arizona. Fatullah Gulen lives in Sailorsburg, Pennsylvania, out of all places. <laughs> so these guys are exiled out of their country because of their beliefs, but they have a huge following. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, there's around 164 charter schools that Fatullah Gulen started in the United States wow. alone. And they have their organizations all over. And one of the things that's interesting about these guys is, uh, for the I'll say for as a Christian is they say they're open to religious dialogue. So if you talk to a normal Arab or uh, maybe a, a Turk that is not a Gulenist or Nurju uh, Muslim, they're gonna fight with you on everything. There's gonna be a battle. It's it's okay. It's fun. It's good to do that. They want to do that. But with these guys, they want they'll sit there and listen. You know, I've I've interacted hmm. with these guys. I've been in their meetings um, for years and years, and they actually invite me to come and tell me the perspe uh, Christian perspective on Jesus. So I get to sit for two hours and preach with my Bible open to a group of Nurjus. Well, it's not that they're becoming Christians, but they're open to listen. That was what right. their leaders told them. We need to have religious dialogue. So I would say, in a positive sense, that's really good to have. And they have these religious dialogue conferences all over the United States and all over the world. And you will find more of these in the West than ever before because in uh, 2016, in July, there was an attempted military coup in Turkey. 
And uh, Type Erdogan basically had blamed the Gulenists for this, saying Fethullah Gulen is trying to take over our country and all of these things. Mm. And because of that, um, they're now exiled all over the place. And I, when I go back and visit the United States, I find them everywhere. And they actually tell me why they're here. And so if you're interacting with, with Turks, specifically in the last five or six years in the West, if you're in Germany or France, wherever you're listening, you will find that these people are coming from this background. They were exiled. They can't return because if they do, they're going to be implicated with this attempted military coup. But they're open to religious dialogue, friendship. All of those things are there. They have a lot of differences. Um, I actually ha I wrote a, a chapter of a book. It's uh, now I have it with me. I can show you about the Fethullah Gulenis movement. Uh, but uh, to help people know how to reach them because they are different uh, because of their openness and that they are uh, open to private interpretations of religious matters. So they don't just listen to just one thing. They're kind of more open to different ideas and, and they have a, a higher education because they hmm. value reading, study, and education. So it's not like you're dealing with uh, a typical village Turk or Kurd. Yeah. They, they really want to get into study and understand things more than a typical person would. Would they, in the larger Islamic world, would mm -hmm. these movements be seen as cults? No. No, they're well-respected. They're all over Africa. They're all over the world. Specific, no, this, this is what I'm saying. I think this movement, uh, the Gulenis movement, the Nurju movement, has the most influence out of any other group. Okay, the reason why I asked, right? Because yeah. I'm, I'm thinking Nabil Qureshi and the kind of stuff Nabil right. Qureshi got over being Ahmadi. Right. Um, and, uh, and it's an easy way to get rid of a mm -hmm. conversation right, by right. some of these other guys, right? Oh yeah, like, sure. Well, yeah, those are those guys are cults. They don't they, they don't they don't believe right. This stuff, so what's right? interesting about these guys is that they do uh, fully accept the hadith, the uh, Sunni. They're mostly Sunni uh, hadith um, and the Quran, but they 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 cite Nursi wrote volumes of commentaries, and and what's in, what they how they draw people into their group is they use really weird language in Turkish. So like we would uh, in Turkish, there's a plain way to say something. And then they use like old Ottoman words. So it sounds like really educated, intellectual, like there's some Gnostic, interesting knowledge that they know that they draw you into. Mm -hmm. and they're like, oh, well, how do I know the way? How do I know the path? And then they say, well, you have to do these three things. And they use interesting Turkish vocabulary that nobody understands in Turkey. And then you come to their <laughs> meetings and then you find out, oh, he's just talking about you, you submit to Muhammad. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. So, so, but no, they're, they're not looked at as a fringe group in their beliefs at all. Uh, but the one thing I would say that I, I, I have, I feel there's a danger is that they have the same Islamic goals of bringing Sharia law into the entire world. They just yeah. want to do it through democracy. <laughs> so let's get enough Muslims in, let's get enough votes in, let's get enough change in society so we can somehow slowly bring Islam. So th that's one of their, their mm. key teachings. Well, listen, that's um, the that's yeah. that's the danger or, yeah. or and the yeah. Um, yeah. gift yeah. <laughs> of, of living in a free society. Right. right. I Correct. mean, if, if, if yeah. people aren't on their um, if, if people aren't like up on their game and involved and knowing yeah. what's going on then you're going to give away stuff. That's just the reality. I mean, we see this happening right. in the United States where it's like you sit there and say, mm -hmm. well, how did so-and-so get into power? You know, uh, you're going to get my political mm -hmm. opinions here. Right, you know, right, like right. I, was, I was watching um, um, Cortez, what's her name? Uh, oh, Cortez. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she was talking about how to save the post office yesterday. It was just like the stupidest thing I've ever watched. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry, but this is... So she's like, I, you know, I have a way. She's like, I got an idea. Oh, and she seems very excited about it, about saving the post office. Uh, and she said, how about we come up with a, with a nationwide progressive pen pal program oh, and we gosh. all buy stamps. And I'm like... People have phones, man. Right, they have email. Right, right. Like they, they get it in an instant. Like you're telling people to go back and sit there and write stuff. Sure. And it immediately, I mean, this is probably my own fears. It immediately started making me think about how communism just destroys everything and tells you, oh, your phone? That's a great product. Here's a pen and a paper. Let's get rid of your phone. That's a good point. But the, right, like it's it's like you, we see it all over in Armenia, For right? Sure. It's like you see yeah. this you see this building and you go, what were they thinking? Like, why would you build this monstrous thing, sure. right? When you when all across the world there's these beautiful things being built at the same period of time, yeah. and you go, oh yeah, because communists love copy paste. It's yeah. just like right. bam bam, you know, and yeah. doing stuff in in really funny ways, but. Yeah, uh, that's a, that's a different subject that we can talk about. How Christians should respond to this? It's just sure, hilarious. Sure. Let's do postcards. Um, but I, I, w- I wanted to mention one thing uh, to go back about Muslims when they move to the West. I, I would say there's a difference between first generation, second, and third generation. And I've seen uh, this. Uh, in, in Nabil Qureshi is a great example. Mm-hmm. Here's somebody where his you know father you know, moved, immigrated for, I think, first to Scotland, I think, and then to the United States, if I remember correctly. And then, uh, you know, he just kind of had the, 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 the mindset of, you know, not really critically questioning religion, what you believe, and getting into it. But here you have Nabil that is now, he studied medicine, and he's in critical thinking. He's That's discovering right. that in the West. If he would have stayed in Pakistan, he would have never had that mind. And I really believe that the, the skills for critical thinking and the Western education system, that's biblically based and founded. And so what I find is that uh, that you have two choices when a Muslim immigrates to the West and or into Western education. And the two choices that they have is this. One, they, they have new skills and tools to interpret, uh, do hermeneutics for their religion, mm. which they've never done before. They that's were never allowed to yeah, do that. You listen to the imam, you listen to the teacher, and you just no blindly leave it. In fact, you don't even study context and history and language. They don't do that. That's, just not, that's not normally taught. So now they're introduced to all these new tools, which comes from Christianity. That's where the modern day education system comes from. Is from uh, Amos uh, Cominius, I believe. Mm-hmm. He's the one that started it back in whatever, 1500s probably. But anyway, so what happens is is that they're introduced to this way of thinking that is new. And so what happens is they, they begin to uh, either critically look at and say, look, my soul doesn't match with this. I don't like Muhammad as a, as a prophet. Look at these things that he's done. And when their soul and their, their being is, what they're doing is they're reflecting the true biblical God uh, that they know is true. It says that in Romans chapter 1, starting verse 18 and following, that they everybody knows the true God. And we're created in his image. And so something doesn't resonate when they read all of these horrible things. And they're like, okay, so maybe this can't be true. And they will reject it, and then they step to Christ. And so so they can become an atheist or an amazing apologist like Nabil Qureshi. Or they can take the third choice, which would be, let's study this. I want to now follow the historical Muhammad from the Hadith and the Surah and all of these things, and they become a terrorist. Extremist. Yeah. yeah. A, a radical, a real Muslim, yeah, I would yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Um, someone said, just like Iranian people... Yeah. Um, 
Yes, uh, in, in, in a certain sense, again, because I say this because I'm a Protestant, Armenian Protestant, and I get that, I really do, because there's all this cultural stuff that comes with your religious identity, mm-hmm. right? Like when I speak to people and they just assume I'm apostolic because I'm Armenian, right. it's hilarious. Uh, that's happened with Armenians and mm. that's happened with non-Armenians. We're just like, oh, I'm, you know, they see me like talking about, and they, they just assume I'm apostolic. Yeah. I've had professors assume I'm apostolic. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no, I don't believe that stuff. I'm, I'm sure. Protestant. I, I'm more in line with what you're saying, man. Um, and so th- there's a religion, right, carries culture as well. Yes. Um, Americans need to realize this. There's, uh, and, and especially Americans that deal in missions. So mm-hmm. A lot of them yes. who aren't well-trained, who have a great heart, who want to go around the world and do mission, or do, they do these short-term mission stuff and all that. Um, they don't realize how much culture they're carrying with them. Mm-hmm. They don't realize how much of America they're carrying yeah. with them. Yeah. Uh, rather than, well, how can we contextualize, mm-hmm. right, the, what, what, the, what your culture and what the Bible teaches. Yeah. And even this understanding of like the biblical culture is, is very difficult to even talk about that because the biblical culture is within the ancient Near Eastern culture. You see all yeah. you, you see that everywhere. I've been reading through um, Old Testament books like mm-hmm. First Second Kings and stuff like that. And it is no surprise to me that the Israelites assimilated and started worshiping these deities. And then they're also worshiping Yahweh at the same right. time. Um, you know, and, and, and for us, we're looking at this and saying, why would you do that? Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, here's monotheism and all this stuff. Well, it's because you don't understand the cultural pressures. Mm-hmm. You don't understand that these yeah. villages and, and, and Baal prophets coming along and saying, oh, you worship Yahweh. Mm-hmm. That's OK. Yeah. Right. You can keep worshiping Yahweh yeah. and, 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 and Baal because they're in the pantheon. Right. right. Like you can see that happening. And this hasn't stopped. For people who think this was the mindset and the way things that were done in the ancient world mm-hmm. don't understand the, the modern world, nor do they understand yeah. the ancient world, okay? Yeah. It didn't stop like Christianity happened and bam, this stuff stopped right. or, or, oh yeah, but we're enlightened and the enlightenment right. happened and, and no. People around the world still think like this, still function like this. That is why you will see, for example, this, this evil eye, this blue eye, hanging in Muslim homes, in Christian homes, yeah. like you see it, right? Um, it's, it's permeated into culture. Yeah. It's, it's given, yeah. redefined and given even, uh, you know, Christian and Muslim meaning, meaning and stuff right. like that. So um, if you really want to engage these people, you have to engage their cultures. You have to engage you what's, what's going well, on. I just want to mention this last thing is that the Bible should, as a Christian, should be our source for of authority for faith and practice. And so the Bible does speak about these things. But if you go to a Western seminary or Bible college, they're not talking about, okay, we're going to do a discipleship on people that believe in the evil eye or curses that have been cast on them. What you're going to have to do is study the scriptures for yourself, see what the Bible teaches, and apply it to that situation, to those people that you're ministering with. So it's extra study. It's extra work, but it will pay off. I, one story, there's a Turkish pastor, a really good friend of mine, and his wife. I had a discussion about this subject. And so the Turkish man, he was a Muslim. The wife was a Muslim. Now they're not only are they uh, Christians, they're pastoring a church. And for those viewers listening, there are actually 172 new Protestant churches in Turkey. 
since 1965. And there's around 7,000 new Christians that are coming from a Muslim background to a Christian background. So there's some good things happening, even though there's politics and all these other things. God is still saving people because he is a merciful God. So uh, when I was talking to this woman about the evil eye specifically, she said to me, she's like, you know, uh, uh, my, my son, when he was about six years old, began to get white spots on his hand and his body. It was some kind of a skin disease. We took him to a doctor. We didn't know what to do with it. And uh, my family was furious with me because we didn't put an evil eye bead on him to protect him. That's, it was our fault that he was sick. Oh. And she said, the culture was still so in my heart that I actually began to believe them. Oh, wow. And thinking, is it my fault? Did I because I didn't put that? Did this really happen? I mean, the, the entire community is putting this pressure on. That's them. right. Oh yeah. So she said the the Christians in the church said this. They're like, look, we can't go to a hoja. We can't go to a Muslim shaman because we know that's bad. But why don't we do this? Let's do the same ritual that a Muslim shaman would do, but in a Christian way. So what we'll do is we'll we'll instead of melting um, or, or or taking the the Quranic uh, Arabic words and, and dissolving the ink into a glass, stirring it and having them drink it. Let's get the Bible. Let's get the words from the Bible and we'll do the same ritual. And she said, you know, I actually thought about doing it. She's like, maybe this is the way to do it. And, and this disease happened, went on for two years with this woman and her and her husband, where they stayed for this poor kitties. Yeah, she's they're pastoring. And so they said, one night, again, my husband and I, we just prayed, God, please deliver our son. We don't know what to do. Please, we're only looking to you for, uh, you know, for his salvation, for his health, all of these things. The next morning, he came running and saying, Mom, I'm dead. I'm healed. I'm completely healed. And she realized that God was just really testing her faith and strengthening her faith to trust him alone and not some ritual, not some oh, amulet. Yeah. I have about 100 stories I could tell like that. But the reason I want to say that is this is why discipleship is important from somebody from a Muslim background because they have all of these ingrained cultural oh, yeah, things absolutely. and we have to know how to apply the Bible to each one of them. Yeah, right. I mean, I've had similar situations yeah. where, um, you know, whether personally, I've removed, you know, the horseshoes and oh, yeah. I've removed uh, the, the eye and all that stuff and gotten trashed for it, man. Yeah. Like, oh, man, you know, because I was like throwing trash. And, and, and was, <laughs> this is this is when you have zeal. Like I, I was a True. new Christian. So I went around the house and purged it. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you're that. And, and my parents were like, what is this guy doing? You know, and, and it's strange. And, and I want yeah. people to understand the context here. Right, guys. Like, so here I am. 18 years old, I start following Jesus. My parents think they're Christians. Sure. But everybody around me thinks they're Christians. And here I am saying, oh, I'm a Christian. And they're like, what's wrong with you? Mm. Right? And then I go around the house purging um, these, these, <laughs> these evil stuff. And, um, and they're like, why are you doing this? And I say, well, because the Bible teaches against it. And, and for them, mm. it's like, well... You think you know more than the priests? You mm. think you know more than these religious leaders? Right. The, none of them are telling us to purge all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but here's what the Bible yeah, right, is saying right. about this stuff. And then you immediately get this um, tension in the house. And that's a lot of pressure, man. Because now you have tension with your family. Now mm -hmm. you got tension with your friends. Yeah. And your friends are like, hey, bro, what happened to that thing that you know we gave you? That's hanging in your car. And you're like, I threw it in the trash. And now they're offended, right? So 
um, I want people to understand it's not as easy as just saying, well, mm-hmm. you became a Christian, here's what happens. That's right. And again, it goes it back to the time. discipleship thing where um, it's like, come on, let's let's help you through it. And, mm-hmm. and you might lose friends in the process of this. And, and here I am with yeah. you. Um, because having, whether it's the Turkish mindset, right? Whether, whatever, it's the Saudi mindset mm-hmm. and all this stuff. There's so much culture in there. There's so much That's of right. your identity wrapped up in all of this stuff. And we have to be very careful uh, when you're ripping these things away, mm. not to rip away the person's culture. Yeah, that's right. Uh, because Christianity is not telling you to rip away their culture. One of the things that a lot of Christians in the Middle East, a lot of Christians um, in those cultures get accused of is becoming Western, yes. becoming American, yeah. becoming European or English or something like that. Like, oh, you're no longer Turkish, for example, mm. right? Because you became a Christian. That's right. And these Turkish Christians are saying, no, man, I'm, I'm like more Turkish right. now. Right. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. That's exactly. Right. You know, it's interesting. I have uh, a lot of Azeri friends that are pastors in Azerbaijan. There's around 10,000 uh, Azeri Christians in, in, in Azerbaijan right now. And when I talk to them about this subject, um, when they come to faith in Christ and they now do evangelism, they're preaching the Bible, uh, they're accused of being a traitor and they call them, you're an Arminian now. Armenian. So, not the theological kind. No, 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 not the, <laughs> no the ethnic kind. That's so, right. So yeah. all of our Azeri Christian friends living in Azerbaijan, uh, they identify themselves, I mean, with Armenia. It's interesting. It is. It is interesting. I'd say one more thing about this, too. If you're an Armenian and you're watching and you um, one thing I found, uh, I, I had really good relationships with the Armenian community in Turkey. I would pray mm-hmm. with a priest. We had great times, true godly believer. But uh, they were it, it wasn't his choice, but they had to do all of their liturgy in Armenian and the preaching in the Armenian language. Well, the problem is, is if you're a Turk or a Kurd and you want to hear the gospel or want to find out what a Christian believes and you go to an Armenian building, you can't hear it in your language. Yeah. And so uh, he knew this is a problem. He would rather have been able to communicate with them in Turkish so they could hear it. But he would, what he did, he would send them to our church because we were Turkish background or Kurdish background church. But I always thought that was sad because... The Armenian, uh, you know, if, if it's based on your language, if you like the Greeks, it's based on the Greek Orthodox, it's around the language. How are you doing, you know, apologetics yeah. and discipleship and sharing the gospel around the world if they have to learn your language? And this is a recent development. One of the things I've realized um, it, it, because of all the tensions, because of the genocide and all that stuff, because um, whether it's Greeks or Armenians or whomever, they, these people were actually speaking and preaching and even i mean there's bibles that are um in armenian but it's it's like turco-armenian that's it's true yeah, i've seen it i've seen that one right yes. it's, it's like yes. ha- it's a strange language yeah. that no longer yeah. gets used like right. the, it, but it was a language that was used in in western armenia right eastern turkey um uh, that it was used and missionaries went mm. there and they mm. said well we want to put a Bible into these people's language, but it's neither Armenian nor Turkish. It's kind of like both. Um, so it's, it's very yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, Rafi, you made a comment here. Rafi said, uh, Arthur, I have the same issue. Um, bro, get in contact with me, okay? Send me a message um, somehow. Uh, email me the, on Facebook. There's a bunch of ways um, I, I would like to talk mm, to you mm. uh, because I think there's right and wrong ways about going about how to, how to do this mm. um, as we interact with our family members who aren't believers. Mm. And I would say the same thing um, for for anyone else. If you're a Turkish Christian who's watching this, yeah. um, 
uh, get in contact with me because I think that w- we will share a lot of cultural uh, you know, similarities mm-hmm. enough that we can learn from each other and say, oh, yeah, yeah, my parents think like that. Mm-hmm. But from the Muslim side and yeah. my parents from, you know, this religious yeah, that's Christian. Good. That's okay. uh, let's talk about, uh, finish on this note, okay? okay? okay. Um, because it's very interesting. You said Turks, uh, there's this idea of Turks becoming Christians. And then there's Turks who become atheists and then therefore become Christians after yes, that. Correct. Because yes. atheism does something to yes. them. Can, can you comment on that? Uh, yeah, so I will. Uh, one of uh, my really close Turkish friends, I would say my closest Turkish friend, he's also a pastor, but he's also the number one Turkish apologist in the world right now. His, uh, I, I'll just say his uh, YouTube channel is Bahri Beytel. It's in the Turkish language. We only have one of his videos tra- uh, subtitled in English. And um, this, uh, this man is viewed millions of times he is posted on atheistic Turkish channels because they love how he talks mm. and deconstructs Islam. Because they're like, yeah, this is what we've been saying too. There was a really famous uh, uh, guy named Turan uh, uh, Dursun that was uh, kind of uh, these uh, voices to kind of critique Islam and point out these things. Uh, a long time ago, he was actually murdered for his views in mm. Turkey. But atheists like to read him as well there. And so what they're doing is they're deconstructing Islam and they're studying it critically uh, and they realize this cannot be God. This is an angry God. This is a warring Mm -hmm. God. This is all of these things. And so they are, they call themselves atheists, but they're really not atheists. They're just rejecting the Islamic God. So when you push it, will they be like agnostic? We're like, well, I'm not sure. I think yeah, there is some yeah, kind of, that, like, they, they wouldn't like a, be a hardcore atheist. No, absolutely Like a soft not. agnostic. Yes, yes. Okay. And, and a lot of them don't even want to spend the time into Christianity because they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were, you know, they're still just taught that those books were changed and corrupted. They still rem- they're still thinking All that like culture Muslims. is, they're still thinking like a Muslim, but atheists are Muslim. Just like the atheists in the West, they all think yeah. like Christians. They just don't acknowledge the Christian <laughs> that's God. True, that's true. <laughs> they borrow from, steal from Christianity without acknowledging him. That's so anyway, so the, they, they're coming with their, their background. And so what's uh, great is a lot of these people that are coming to Bahri's channel, they're realizing, wow, this guy, he's sharp. He knows how to deconstruct Islam. He sees the same thing we saw, mm-hmm. but why is he a Christian? And so then they start questioning, can you please tell us more about Christian? Why did you choose this? Why is this different than Islam? Because, I mean, they're taught they're supposed to believe in the four right books, you know, the, the Tevah, Zebra, Angel, Quran, but then they don't ever read the, the Old and New <laughs> Testament. They just, we believe it, but we don't read it. Well, they weasel out of right, it, right, right? So he's challenging, <laughs> you need to read these books, and this is what the God of Christianity is, and how he, the God of Christianity is not the God of Islam. And that, so I would say, and I've seen this over the years, the first step is this move away from Islam. Uh, more, more so, and then a step towards Christ when they truly encounter who he is, the message of the gospel, who the biblical God is. Um, that's kind of a pattern I've seen. You know, it's, it's very interesting yeah. for me, and I, I'm going to try to kind of, because I'm a philosopher and I like to think about this. Mm. Stuff. Okay, so I love epistemology. It's mm. my favorite mm-hmm. branch of uh, philosophy. One of the things that we speak about in epistemology is a noetic structure, right? It's, it's the sum total of all the beliefs that you have. Um, if you can think about it like as a Kind of round thing right mm-hmm. and then there's beliefs we have that are very central to that and then there's beliefs we have like that are on the you know spectrum kind of mm-hmm. on the outer side so my my belief by the way that vanilla ice cream is the best tasting ice cream i actually believe that i'm dead serious right mint chocolate chip <laughs> i can't stand mint chocolate <laughs> i worked at baskin robbins for a number of years 
Okay, so I have <laughs> personal experience of tasting really nasty ice cream. I still think vanilla is the best. It's cool. Okay, people think it's because I'm a plain individual. Uh, maybe so. But that's like not very central to my worldview, right? right. It's like if it changes. Uh, I fall down and hit my head and I wake up and I'm like, man, chocolate is the stuff, right? <laughs> um, that, that's a possibility. It's yeah, a yeah. real possibility, right? And, and that could go out. Um, but if Islam or even if Christianity, right, is very central and then someone moves, right, the, the, their kind of belief system is changing mm -hmm. and it gets rejected, right? Right now, they've just become more aware, mm -hmm. they've become more open, yes, to alternate perspectives. And you go, Well, why wouldn't this guy just become a Christian? Well, because it was like in their mind, right, and in, in, in all some total of stuff they believed. That's not even a possibility. Hmm. But once that goes, then this is the case. It might actually be advantageous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm just like saying something that I might regret in the future. Mm. <laughs> it might even be advantageous in the conversation with a Muslim um, to show them why Islam is wrong mm -hmm. before this whole conversation about them becoming Christians. No, it is. I agree. Uh, one of the things that I, I teach for apologetics and for discipleship is that we do need to critique their primary sources, whether there's internal contradictions or if there are things that we would say are immoral that in your practice, if you did them, like, for example, most Muslim women don't want to have their share their husbands with That's other right. women, you know, or they don't want to be That's beaten. That's a very or, good thing. <laughs> right. Or, you know, there's a number of things that you can look at and you could say, look, if you truly believe these primary sources, then your, uh, the, what you're going to have to do to, to live them out, your life is going to look like this. Your experience is going to be very bad. So look at the primary source, see what it says, and see how that's going to affect your life. Do you want a Muslim man to, to treat you the way the Quran says you're to be yeah, treated? This was very interesting. This came out in a conversation I was watching yesterday. Um, David Wood's channel, he's had this, uh, this Indian doctor on, medical doctor, Shoaib, I think. Mm. Um, and they've been going back and forth. That guy's been given a lot of opportunity to preach Islam on David Wood's channel to his audience. Mm. A lot. And props to David Wood, okay? And then yesterday, him and Sam Shamoon were going out. And you guys know Sam's personality. <laughs> yeah. and, and Sam, but Sam called him out on it. He said, he, would he want, would he want his mother, yeah. would his dad want yeah. his wife to be treated the way, if, if they were living during Muhammad's time, yeah. would he want his wife, his daughter, his mother to be treated the way yeah. Islamic primary sources say? And he didn't get an answer from him. Of course. And he's not going to get an answer from him. I did a survey in Istanbul over a period of two years with hundreds of Muslim women, Turkish and Kurdish women. And what I would do is I would, in the survey, I would ask them about their religion, what they believed, um, about their belief in the Quran, all of these things. Mm. Then I would ask them where I'm trying to get to, which was the four or five passages that talk about marriage in the Quran. And I would say, what do you think about this? Would you want to marry a man that did these things? Then I would go over wow. scriptural, what the Bible says about marriage. And then I read those verses, not say I'm reading from the Bible and say, what do you think about this? Would you want a man to follow these principles and marry that person? 100% all of the Muslim women preferred to marry a Christian man without knowing it. <laughs> so that's a clever way, by the way. That's a clever way. Of, of getting this conversation started. I've, yeah. I've, I've used similar stuff yeah. uh, with, with atheists. 
Uh, one of the things I do is uh, I have done in the past is do a cognitive dissonance test. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, I got to hear this. Uh, it, I, it's called the cognitive dissonance test. But I've, I've, I've actually made this up at a coffee shop, like on the spot in a conversation, because you just kind of get used to it. It's the same kind of questions you ask. Um, and usually I'll use this with people who are preaching something. They're wearing a shirt that said, that says, you know, F racism or something like that. Like this one girl I, I got into conversation with her laptop said F racism. And so I approached her and I said, hey, listen, can we have a quick conversation? And I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. Mm. I will tell you why I'm asking the questions afterwards. Um, and she said, yeah. And so I asked her, you know, her name, obviously, her, if she has any religious kind of background and stuff like that. And this individual said, no, I'm kind of like agnostic and stuff like that. I said, okay. Um, and then I asked her a number of moral questions. Um, for example, I asked her, do you think rape is wrong? Um, and she said, well, yeah, of course, rape is always wrong. And I said, clearly, you think racism is wrong. <laughs> it's mm. big on your laptop. She said, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I said, well, do you think homosexuality is wrong? She said, no. And I asked her a couple of other questions. And then, um, and then I said, well, um, you know, it seems like you have cognitive dissonance. And she was like, what is that? Right? I asked, actually, uh, one of the questions was, do you think abortion is wrong? And uh, she said, no, it's not. And, uh, and then I also asked her whether she thought, she thought morality, and this is the, the key kind of question, whether morality is relative or absolute. Hmm. And she said, and, and listen, she was like, for me, it was all scripted because I knew exactly what she was going to say. She said relative. And I said, well, you have cognitive dissonance. She said, what is that? So, well, you think morality is relative, mm -hmm. but you absolutely think racism and rape are wrong. But you think yeah. abortion, homosexuality right. are completely fine. Yeah. Uh, and you're you're holding cognitive dissonance. Mm -hmm. You're holding two contradictory beliefs right. without even realizing it. And um, and then I mean the conversation that went from that was mm -hmm. brilliant. Usually yeah. is. Um, it's it's a really quick way of getting conversations going. So the cognitive dissonance. You know test, the, the scriptures, uh, Second Corinthians chapter ten, I think it's verses four and five, says that we're to take every thought captive, captive. for Christ, and right. that's what you're doing, and that's, that's right. what we're advocating yeah. here. But it, it, yeah. it's a, it's a yeah. good way to start yeah. a conversation yeah. Yeah. as well. Uh, because I doubt she's thought about this. And then it was, this, was, this is one of those situations where I won't forget. Uh, partly because um, I found out she was a nursing student. And mm. I found out that she was studying ethics. Wow. Like she was studying for an ethics test. And I actually helped her out with some of the ethical theories. That That's she was great. like studying utilitarianism and stuff like that. I was like, well, here's what it means. And again, it, it's, you know, it's God ordained. Someone asked here, mm. where are those passages? Um, Which passages? I guess the ones you mentioned about uh, marriage and uh, stuff Nisa like that. Four, chap, uh, so on Nisa in the Quran chapter 4. Starting, just read that chapter and you'll start seeing them. It's uh, those are the marriage passages. Yeah, those are some marriage passages in the Quran. There's also another passage that talks about uh, if a woman and a man divorce, if they feel they are to be remarried, the woman first must marry another man consummate that marriage with that man, divorce him, and then remarry her first husband. Now, I, I don't have the, the, the exact, uh, uh, I think it's maybe chapter 35. I'll look at it and we'll put it up and post it later. But that's a very clear Quranic passage about marriage and reconciliation. You can reconcile with your husband if you have sex with another man first. Uh, the Bible teaches the opposite of that. It says that uh, it's just uh, there's a lot of uh, places yeah. like that going back to that bible yeah. by the way Antonic yeah. wrote uh, uh my uncle has one of those when you read the words uh, so it's written in armenian but it's actually turkish so it's armenian letters yes it's but armenian it's but it's turkish yes, so here's the interesting thing, but even the yeah. words in there like a lot of the words aren't actually armenian they're they're um from that region 
right? I mean, there's a lot of words even in our Armenian language that are actually like Persian or uh, Farsi or, or Turkish and stuff like that, but they're not Armenian. Um, uh, it's very interesting because you were saying Armenians having the awareness of reaching Turks, you know, in Turkey and all mm -hmm. this stuff. And and these guys were thinking about that. Right? Yeah, they Here were. they are, they're yeah, reading they in were. Armenian letters, but it's actually the Turkish language. Um, there, there was an actual movement uh, before the Armenian genocide uh, among Armenians to reach their Muslim neighbors. Yeah. And uh, there were some that were quite effective. And this is in the 1800s they were doing this. Um, there's a book called the Abraham Hoja uh, that's written. You can find it in PDF online. Abraham uh, Hoja is, uh, I think it's, I don't know how they spell it. But yeah, I'll find yeah, it. I'll put it in yeah, the description yeah. box, by the way. And they have that also in the Armenian language as well. We have that in English and in Armenian. So, um, uh, what have you written that people can have access to? Yeah, so... And uh, how can they have access to it? If, if there's a way I can put it in the description yeah, box, I will. So, there, there's a, a book that came out, The Margins of Islam, a Ministry in Diverse Muslim Context. It was uh, forward, is by David Garrison, this book right here. I have a chapter in here about the Gulen movement and the Nurjus. Okay. And so, we can, you can find that on... Um, on uh, Amazon, Amazon or something, okay. things like that. I have some other little books that I, I've written specifically. I'm really interested in evangelism. So I have one specifically for Muslim women. It's The Messiah and Women. I have that on Amazon as, so, okay. as well, but it's under Yakup Korkmaz. That's one of my pseudonyms for writing in okay. Turkish that I used to use. So I, I, I love this because it's it, uh, I, I really feel bad for um, women in the Muslim world. And so everything was dedicated for them in this book. And I realized that even in the Turkish language, we have we had no book that addressed anything for Muslim women. Everything is for a man. And it's weird because I'm a man writing about it, right? <laughs> so that, that was kind of strange. Um, uh, but I felt the Lord called me to do that. This one is about uh, the... The genocide, specifically calling our Turkish and Kurdish Christian brothers to confess the genocide and reconcile with the Armenians, Greeks, Syriacs over the genocide. This one's also on Amazon. It's the expected awakening in Turkey. Again, I have a pseudonym, Sebastian James, for that. I have that in Turkish and in Armenian. So, uh, you know, I wrote write about culture, things like that. I have my academic papers on like academia, uh, edu, things yeah. like that. So, so okay, yeah. uh, we we will link the descriptions yeah. to all the stuff that uh, Jacob has written. Yeah. Uh, that if you guys are interested in getting it, again, be aware, be engaging. I mean, um, I don't think any of these, uh, whether it's my channel, and I'll just speak for everyone else um, who do who does similar context, even just like. If you're like memorizing the Kalam cosmological argument, like know how to use it. You're not just going to show up into a conversation and randomly just start throwing around big words and like that's right. not doing apologetics. Right. Right. I'm sorry. Um, know the content, uh, have the wisdom to know when to use it and when not to use it. Uh, sometimes you don't even have to use it because God's done quite a bit of work uh, and you just get to participate in that. I mean, in all of evangelism, we get to participate with God and all these things. And it might just mean, hey, man, Jesus loves you. <laughs> come follow him and they're, they're ready to go yeah, so yeah. um be very wise in in your approach in your apologetics uh, especially be aware of the culture of the individuals that you're dealing with uh, that is I, I can't stress that enough uh because you don't ever want to offend the individual's culture and i yeah, would say because that's, that's right. a god-given thing um, that's the, that that is a gift of god to people and christianity never calls us to uh, subjugate and change people's cultures That's into right. our culture, but rather to amplify and to uh, to show the good of cultures 
um, and to celebrate uh, the cultural identity of the people in Jesus Christ. Okay, because yeah. Christianity is not like the like Christian culture kind of yeah. it's, it's a strange con- uh, concept. If there's any offense, it should be the gospel of Christ. That's right. That's, That's the only right. offense. That's right. Yeah. Um, so with that said, God bless you guys. Take care. Um, I don't think there's anything lined up. Something random might come up with uh, with the conversation, but until then, I do have an interview with a guy named Tyson James uh, next week, and we will be talking about middle knowledge. Uh, now, this is, uh, we don't want to make a conversation about Molinism per se, uh, because we already have a conversation about Molinism previously, but we want to talk about um, middle knowledge and what that looks like within like theology. Okay. And, and he's, he's a great guy to, he works for reasonable faith. And so um, look, uh, look forward to that until then. God bless you guys and take care. God bless. Mm-hmm.